Pray God would help me tonight. Very simple message. Very direct. Hallelujah. The four pillars of false evangelism. Turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 14. Proverbs 14 and verse 5. A faithful witness will not lie, but a false witness will utter lies. A faithful witness will not lie, but a false witness will utter lies. You know, the humanism, the leaven of humanism has crept in to our evangelistic methods. And there's been a shift, a very subtle, almost unconscious shift, from a God-centered message to a man-centered message. We're going to talk about that here tonight. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for the fear of God. I pray, Lord, for your holiness and your purity, your character to be unveiled to us afresh, that, Lord, we're to be of a broken and contrite spirit, to tremble, Lord, at thy word, Father. Lord, we ask, Father God, that you would touch us, you would quicken us here, that we would be a faithful witness, that we would represent you accurately, that we would be ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. Our Christian duty, amen, particularly in evangelism, is to represent God. That's an absolute. That's what we're doing. That's what we did today. That's what our call is, to represent the Lord Jesus Christ. Not simply to talk about God but to talk for God, to provide Him with a human mouthpiece whereby He can interject His Word into the affairs of men. You know, God wanted to speak today, and He did. Went out there, and there was a band, and they were singing about Mardi Gras. And God wanted to express His mind toward Mardi Gras, and He found a vessel that was willing to do so. Amen? God wants to talk in this hour. But he, he requires a human vessel to do so, and that's you and I. Amen. God would have us to show courage, conviction, and commitment in providing a faithful witness. We have to be faithful. We're called to be a witness, but we must be faithful to the Word of God. As we've seen, to do this, we must forsake the life of shadowy darkness and wholeheartedly embrace the light. The spiritual condition of our heart is going to directly affect the influence that we have with other men. There's no way to escape that. Amen? This is inherently linked to the governing principle of the cross. Are we utterly committed to God? Are we utterly committed to His will? Are we utterly committed to His Word and to His way? We cannot save our own life and simultaneously exalt His. It doesn't happen that way. The old life must be displaced by the new. This is our obligation. Now, let no man deceive you. All spiritual progress involves sacrifice. In Luke 14 and 28, Jesus said, For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Likewise, every facet of Christian discipleship has its specific cost attached. And evangelism is no exception. 
Jesus said in Luke 10 and 2, Therefore said he unto them, The harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Why is that? Have you ever wondered? Why would Jesus make such a statement? Amen. The laborers are few because the sacrifice to enter into the harvest is great. Don't be deceived about that. There is a cost involved if you and I are going to accurately represent the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're to truly preach the gospel as it ought to be preached, preaching it with clarity, preaching it with power, preaching it with moral force, enabled by the Holy Ghost to apply it to the will and conscience of man under unction. If we're going to do that, we must understand and we must accept this cost. It's not always going to be appreciated. Amen? Not, uh, men are not going to necessarily recognize us as loving ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. In this hour, the church cannot stomach the disapproval of the world. If the world says, you'll never win me that way, then the, the church has an ear for the counsel of the world. The Bible says we ought not attend to the counsel of the ungodly. What a terrible thing. That's why the leaven has come. Amen. You know, I'm not called to give men what they want. I'm called to give them what they need. Amen. I'm not obligated to convince sinners to, that I love them. I'm only obligated to love them. Amen. If I do love them, they may not recognize it. They didn't think that Jesus was loving or they wouldn't kill Him as a criminal. He was rejected and despised of men. You know, I say it all the time. The church has forgotten they murdered Jesus Christ. They murdered Him. I asked a young person that was a professing Christian at LSU Tuesday, I said, what do you think would happen if Jesus were to come here today? And he was shocked when I said he might not have lived past noon. This generation is more barbaric than the one that nailed Jesus Christ to the cross. But the church is under the fallacy that if Jesus came today, everybody would receive him. Oh, what error we've fallen into. Now, to preach the gospel is to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto myself. But likewise, we know that Jesus is the truth. Jesus and truth are synonymous. You cannot separate or divorce the two. Hence, we cannot say that we are exalting the Lord Jesus Christ while we soften the blow or otherwise obscure the truth. We can't say that. We've got to give the brutal truth. Speaking the truth in love, that is our obligation. Now, we don't try to just be brutal, amen, because we enjoy inflicting insult. No, no, because it's necessary. Because it's necessary. The surgeon, the heart surgeon that's operating on a patient and, and correcting something in his heart doesn't saw off a leg and an arm just because he enjoys the sight of blood. No, he's there to help. And so we go forth to preach the gospel. We may have to say severe things. Most of the time, indeed, we'll have to deal with the most precious things to that sinner's heart. It's not going to be appreciated, and we have to be ready for the fallout. Ironically, the claims of mass conversions 
abound while the popularity for truth-telling continues to plummet. Now, something's wrong with that. Amen? I mean, no one can deny. You want to offend somebody in this hour, just tell them the truth. Amen? Just stop somebody in the church and say, Brother, sister, I need to tell you something. I need to give you the truth or correct you or reprove you. In this hour, nobody wants to be told what to do. Nobody wants to be corrected. Nobody wants to be reproved. Well, Jesus, He said, in the last days, in the latter times, many will be offended. That's the hour in which we live. That offended spirit. Don't you correct me. Don't you reprove me. Rebellion is now full-blown. Amen. Proverbs 14 and 25 says, A true witness delivereth souls. Amen. But a deceitful witness speaketh lies. Or they join the church in this hour. Amen. But there's no change. We were talking to a young man Tuesday, Brother uh, Victor and I, and a, a young man that we had dealt with many times before. He had opposed us in the beginning and went to a large charismatic church. And really, he was the cream of the crop, so to speak. Very sincere. And yet he opposed us. And we sat down with him and reasoned with him. We'd see him from time to time. And uh, he was somewhat open. But nevertheless, the other day when I walked up and saw Brother Victor speaking to him, I knew immediately he was disheveled in the spirit. Amen? I mean, he looked tormented, almost chewing his bottom lip off. And he was backslidden. And he said, if he ever was right with God at all. He said, I lived in sin. Everything I did was for the wrong motives. Listen to me. This is the condition of the church or of the professing church. And the reason is many of them have never really heard the true gospel. Lies. Amen. And lies gender bondage as truth brings deliverance. Amen. In a phrase, truth-telling constitutes our obligation as, as a biblical evangelist. And that takes courage. Amen. That takes boldness to look someone in the eyes and tell them the truth even when you know they're not going to like it. Remember the Apostle Paul illustrating that this is our duty. You remember in the book of Acts, he said, I am pure from the blood of all men. Why? Because I shun not to the to you the full counsel of God. If we don't tell them the truth, we're going to answer for their blood. If we don't blow the trumpet warning, amen, if we don't sound the alarm, then we are going to answer. We are called as a watchman this hour. But unfortunately, the church in this hour is a church that watches but refuses to warn, sits in the church house, says, I know they're going to hell, but never lifts a finger to warn anybody. Listen to me. We've got to be faithful witnesses. We must be. Amen. However, those who secretly harbor sin and compromise, amen, they're disturbed by the light. They're disturbed by the light. It's darkness that flees from the light. Jesus said, everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Few in this hour, among this eleven group that defiles the gospel, few of them understand or believe that they're lying. 
But like the religious pundits of Jesus' day, amen, they make the Word of God of none effect through their tradition, amen. They've usurped, absurd, usurped the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word by their man-pleasing philosophies. Many today, it's a tragedy. We run into them all the time. I'm talking about tongue-talking people. Not all of them are in charismatic churches. In fact, almost anybody that doesn't practice biblical evangelism, they don't understand it. You know why that is? Jesus said, if you do the will, you'll understand the doctrine. Amen? The Bible says He gives a good understanding to those who obey, who keep His commandments. If you don't do it, you don't understand it. So people come and begin to try to approve, and you'll find out they're embarrassed with the testimony of the God of the Bible. They apparently feel obligated to apologize for His ways and His words. They subconsciously suppose that God is just a little bit outdated. His methods are obsolete and they're unfit for the 21st century. Hence, they believe that they're merely doing Jesus a grand service in adjusting His methods and His character to appeal to a broader base of interest. Because after all, it's all about souls, isn't it? Amen? If it doesn't work, then we better try a different avenue. Accordingly, Modern-day evangelistic concepts tend to work off these four progressive false premises. And when I use the word progressive, what I mean is one logically unfolds into the next. One logically unfolds into the next. Here tonight, we're going to examine the four pillars of false evangelism. That which motivates and inspires the false witness that speaks lies. The first pillar is that men are seen as victims of sin instead of culprits. Men are seen as poor victims of sin instead of culprits. Now we know the Bible says in Romans 2 and 15, the law of God is written upon the heart of every man and that the conscience, and we know that conscience means with knowledge, you know, how often do you hear people, oh, they don't know what they're doing. They, they, they don't really understand. Now, I recognize there's such a thing as deception and that sinners are deceived. But people do know, amen, they have enough light to repent. They have enough light to seek God. They have a conscience, which means they have light. They have knowledge, amen. And that that conscience bears witness with the law of God that's written on their thought and the, on their heart. And the meanwhile, it says their thoughts will either accuse or excuse. Every time they come in contact with the law of God that condemns their behavior, they will either excuse themselves, rationalize. Every false doctrine that's ever been conjured up has come out of this dynamic right here. The law of God has been presented and then begin to rationalize how they can cover and excuse their sin. Amen. Men are all the while. You know, I look back on my sinful life and I can sum it up in one word or one phrase. I was running from God. Everything that I did was calculated to evade the light. To evade the light. But sinners, they're not misguided unfortunates, but depraved rebels who knowingly was just God. Now that's the Bible, amen. But that's not popular in this hour, amen. That's not popular. Now the fact 
that the Scripture refers to men as, as sinners. That expresses and implies culpability. For sinners are those who willfully commit sin. You say, well, aren't we all sinners? That's not a biblical idea, amen, though it's very popular in this hour. It says, if I seek to be justified by Christ, and yet I'm found a sinner, I make Christ a minister of sin. God forbid. No, no. We were all once sinners. But now the Bible refers to us as saints. Sinners are those who live and commit, live in and commit sin. Sin both in nature and behavior is nothing more than a bold reflection of man's universal defiance against God. You say, well, I can understand why you'd say that a man's behavior is a reflection of that defiance. But he was born with a nature. How is he accountable for his nature? Because God has provided the means to deliver him and give him a new nature. And he rejects Christ as long as he's a sinner. Yes, sir, he is accountable. Thomas Cook, in his wonderful little book, New Testament Holiness, he says there is a danger in these days of toning down the meaning of the word sin until it means something less altogether than what the Bible teaches and what God means by sin. Some regard it as a sort of pardonable naughtiness for which men are to be pitied rather than blamed, the result of weakness rather than wickedness. But the Bible teaching is very different. Sin is lawlessness. It is setting up our will against God's will. Sin defies law because it is law. Resist restraint because it is restraint. Contest authority with God simply because He is God. It's rebellion. It's lawlessness. Amen. Men are not victims. Amen. They are culprits. And we must see this. Now we know, among other things, repentance is a demand of a change of mind in regards to sin with a correlating change in behavior. But if you look at the original language and see the definition of, re of repentance in many places, it is a change of mind in regards towards sin. Hence, it stands to reason, a failure to repent leaves men with flowery and permissive ideas about sin. Amen? Uh, men may condemn sin in the abstract. But when it becomes personal, they begin to evade the issue. They may say Hitler was a wicked man. But you begin to apply the Word and the law to their life. And if they haven't repented, they will sympathize with the sin against God. Now, an inward sympathy with sin or sinners reveals a heart that's still, still allied with rebellion. I'm not speaking about having compassion upon sinners. We are to be benevolent. Are loving, which simply means that we are to desire the sinner's highest good. What, what would be the highest good for the sinners that you spoke to today? Would it not be for them to forsake their sin and to submit to the Lordship of, of Jesus Christ? Well, I'm not speaking about we can't have such compassion on people. No, we must have that type of compassion. But we can never sympathize with the sinner, his sin, or rebellion. Amen. We, we want the sinner to repent. We desire the, the sinner to be delivered for the glory of God. But we dare not soft soap his disobedience. Amen. God said there's no peace to the wicked. Amen. Why would I want to give him any other impression? 
I always say when I talk to a sinner, I want to leave you with two distinct impressions. Number one, there's hope in Jesus. Hallelujah. Number two, there's absolutely no hope without Him. Absolutely no hope without Him. Hem Him up. Amen. Tie up every knot. Close every loophole. Don't hem Him up with divine truth. Hey, ally yourself with His conscience by the Word of God to testify against Him that He's a rebel. This is a moral breach, friend. I said it's a moral breach. The sinner is a criminal against God. We're not trying to sell insurance. We preach Christ and Him crucified. We've got to bring men to see that they have sinned against the Holy God. Nobody, listen to me, and I mean nobody who is truly repentant will casually oppose the public denunciation of sin and sinners. Nobody. Do you hear me? Now, let me qualify by saying there's not a lot of good Bible preaching in this hour. And sometimes you can find a young Christian that doesn't know anything. But as soon as you begin to speak the Word of God, that's how you really know because Jesus is the Word. And if people listen to me, they may be ignorant. But when you when you begin to say the Bible says, and that person doesn't hunker down and say, maybe I bit off a little more than I could chew. Maybe I thought I knew something when I really don't. If they don't react that way, if they oppose the clear teaching of the Word of God, friend, Jesus can't be their Lord if the Word of God doesn't govern them. But nobody who's really repentant just going to casually, that's what I mean by casually, oppose the public denunciation of sin and sinners. The book of Exodus it says, Put not thy hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. You know, you see these religious hypocrites come out in front of folks and then oppose the preaching of the gospel. And it strengthens the sinners in the rebellion. It was a couple of years ago, in fact, uh, several years ago, we were out on a Wednesday, I believe. We, we usually didn't go on Wednesday. We usually go on, on Tuesday. But uh, one week we were on a Wednesday out to LSU. And there was a Bible school that brought their Bible students out there. And as we began to preach, of course, the sinners became very angry. And there was a lot of shouting and persecution and, and a bannering back and forth. And one of these young men that was a Bible student, uh, they came over and Brother Charlie was preaching. And Brother Charlie, you know, stepped off the bench and he jumped up and took the bench. And he began to talk about the love of God. And there's nothing wrong with the love of God. Amen. I said, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying he began to preach to them, you know, that Jesus, he didn't want to condemn you or judge you. And after he got through with his little message, I don't remember exactly what he said. Amen. But it wasn't the Holy Ghost. I can tell you that. They all began to clap and applaud. Amen. And the, and the young man got off the bench. He felt very, you know, uh, a successful that he had garnered the attention of these sinners and brother Charlie pulled him to the side and opened up the Bible and turned to first John chapter four and five. And you remember it says there, they are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. To his credit, the young man was smitten. To his credit. Listen to me. Just I'd be troubled if I could go out to that bunch out there. And they could say, you know, you're really a good Christian man. We appreciate your evangelistic techniques. I'd be troubled about that. Woe unto you when all men speak well of you. The worldly wise sages, 
of the new gospel in their refusal to repent themselves have manufactured a message void of moral demand. It's a lie. Do you hear me? It's a lie. Sinners are not a victim. Amen? This antinomian church age is opposed to law with its restrictions, restraints, and condemnation of insubordination. It says in Proverbs 28, 4 through 5, They that forsake the law praise the wicked, but such as keep the law contend with them. Why are you folks out here contending with all these sinners? This doesn't bring glory to God. Why don't you pray for them? I'm not contending with them. I'm not arguing with them. I'm not debating with them. They're debating with me! I'm contending for the faith. Amen. Argumentation and debate is not talking about you standing for truth. It's talking about people opposing truth. Amen? That's when it's wrong. There's nothing wrong with me preaching the gospel. Amen? The Bible says that the Apostle Paul went into the market and disputed. That means he argued daily with the devout persons. Amen? You preach the Word of God. You preach the Word of God and stand on the Word of God. Amen? It's a lie what they say. That sinners, they're, they're pitting, you know, most people wouldn't brazenly say it like that. But you see, inwardly, this is why they act the way that they act. They pass by when we're out there. They become angry because I'm screaming a scripture at the top of my lungs. While three feet away, people are blaspheming God, disrobing, saying things that are unspeakable, and they never get angry. Something's wrong. Why, why aren't you grieved about Him blaspheming your God? But you're troubled about me quoting the scripture. I can tell you, I, I, listen to me. I would be troubled in my spirit. If something rose up within that made me angry at someone publicly preaching the gospel, I've had men tell me, all you do is stand on a street corner and tell men they're going to hell. You know, I thought about that. We really don't do that. That's not all we preach. Though I'm unashamed to preach that. Amen? I'm unashamed to preach it. But there wouldn't be not one thing wrong with me standing in downtown Baton Rouge and say, you are all on your way to hell. You are all. That's the truth, mister. That is the truth. If I stood in downtown Baton Rouge and I preached Jesus heals, nobody would get offended. If I preached Jesus has risen from the dead, nobody would be troubled. But if I say you're going to hell, they reject it because they presume that it's negative and it offends people. Because they believe that sinners are victims rather than culprits to be blamed. Amen. And that leads us to our next pillar. See, it's a logical, logical progression. Amen. The second pillar, if men are victims of sin rather than culprits, then it's presumed that God is misunderstood by fallen man instead of hated by fallen man. Oh, this is unpopular right here. Oh, this is very, very unpopular. It's presumed that God is misunderstood by fallen man instead of hated by a fallen man. Now, Jesus said in John 15 and 18, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Now, the premise here is to say that it's a lie to believe that men do not hate God. But who is Jesus? Jesus is God. What constitutes the world? Everything not regenerate. How many of you ever met a sinner that's not in the world? Anybody so bold to say, oh, I know my aunt, she was a sinner, but she wasn't in the world. 
Now, Jesus said, the world hates him. So, we can conclude that all individuals, past, present, and future, that are part of the world, which means everybody not born again, hates God. That's the truth. That's the Bible. Amen. If we embrace the concept that sinners are passive victims, then we must assume they're misinformed rather than opposed to God. For surely, if, not, if there's not an intrinsic and latent hatred toward God and opposition, then this is the best deal in the universe. All we have to do is give them the right information and they'll succumb to the gospel. Now, the Bible teaches that fallen humanity exists in a state of latent hostility, opposition, and hatred toward God. The Scriptures define this universal condition as sin and the individuals therein as sinners. Amen? You know, you, you may think here tonight, well, Brother Bray, we would take this for granted. I mean, this is a fundamental truth of the Word of God. But do we really believe this? Amen? Do we truly believe it in our heart? Amen? You know, I, I've had preachers, even in my pulpit, in the last two or three years, this is something that I really begin to meditate upon. I've had, I'm not talking about flaky men, though uh, this would cause you to be, you know, suspicious, but uh, these are old-fashioned, uh, supposedly Pentecostal preachers, stand up in a pulpit, talking about their past life, and say, you know, I really wasn't that bad a person, I just didn't know God. What are you talking about? You aren't a bad person. How could you say something like that? Let me tell you something. I was bad. I was very, very, very bad. Terrible. And if you don't believe that, I wonder if you're right with God. How can men say this when Jesus said there's none good? If you weren't bad, what were you? Neutral? This is a preacher saying that. Oh, Brother Brady, you're going to strain it now. These are fundamental truths. That Listen to me. Preachers can get in pulpits and say things like that. And the church just, uh, you know, swallows it hook, line, and sinker. The abject depravity of this sinful condition is described very accurately in Romans chapter 8, verses 7 through 8. The carnal mind is enmity against enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Brother Bid, by chance, what does that word enmity mean in the Greek? It means hostility. That's what it means. In fact, if you turn to Galatians chapter 5 and you read through the works of the flesh there, it is translated hatred. The carnal mind. You ever met a sinner without a carnal mind? Perhaps there's one you know of. Did you have a carnal mind? You hated God. I was a churchgoer. I was a tither. I was raised in Pentecost. I was just considering the cost. As long as you had a carnal mind, you were 
God they do. And if you don't believe that, I doubt whether you're born again. And I can tell you a lot of people don't believe that. Lots of people, amen. Thus simply stated, all sinners hate God. Your unsaved grandmother, your unsaved grandfather, your unsaved wife, your unsaved husband, your unsaved aunt and uncle, maybe your unsaved preacher. Amen. Listen to me. If they have a carnal mind, if they're a sinner, they hate God. That's the truth. Why are you preaching this so forcefully? Because people become so offended when you begin to preach. We ought to be shouting the house down. This is the Bible, amen. We rejoice in it. Amen. We were all, we all hate. Thank God we got set free from hating God, amen. Now, there's nothing more fundamental to Christianity as the doctrinal truths that sinners are utterly sinful and God is altogether holy. But this is what we're talking about. If we don't believe sinners hate God, then sinners don't utterly, they're not utterly depraved. That's part of the sinful condition, amen? And you see, this how you begin to talk. Listen to me. I begin to make statements in my own church. I begin to say, my children that are above the age of accountability, listen to me, my children, and some of them are here tonight, sitting on that back row. They are above the age of accountability, but they refuse to repent. They hate God Almighty. Oh, people didn't like that. You can feel, amen, if people's eyes were machine guns that have been full of holes, amen. They didn't like it. Why? Because they don't believe the Bible. They don't care. They don't want They don't care. And, you know, the strange thing, the tragedy about Pentecostalism in this hour, it, you know, it, it's hard to describe, but there's an atmosphere like sanctified hockey talk. Lots of more patriotic, amen, than spiritual. Amen, atmosphere more like Nashville than, than Zion. Just an atmosphere, you know, Grandma and Apple Pie and old Grandma Smith and that kind of thing. Where's the zeal for God? Where's the zeal for the house of God? Where's the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ? Where's the zeal and the jealousy for a holy God in His holy people? We're more concerned about Momo and Papa Smith. Amen. I can tell you what. Somebody needs to be born again. And if they're not, then they're a God-hater. I'm not suggesting you go around and call everyone a God-hater, but you've got to believe this. You've got to believe it or you will misrepresent God. However, I've found this perhaps nothing more offensive to the ignorant, the unconverted, and the religious hypocrite. As saying, all sinners hate God. A couple of years ago, we went to New Orleans on New Year's Eve. Preached up and down Bourbon Street. And there was a man there that we picked up off the street. And uh, a homeless man. And uh, as our practice is, we preached to him. Asked him whether he really wanted to get right with God. If he did, we'd help him. And he seemed genuine. Said, I'll do anything. I just, so he went home with us. So I took him into my house. And when I take folks in my house like that, you know, I lay down some rules or what have you and say, you're going to do what I do. You, anything I can't do, you can't do. I'm going to prayer. You're going to prayer with me. And, and that kind of thing. And so, he, 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 you know, we put him in the room and got him settled in. And I don't know how long he was there, maybe week, two weeks, three weeks. And, you know, when someone like that comes in, I take my whole family into my bedroom. Amen. 
because I'm going to be wise as a serpent. Amen. Harmless as a dove. And so I don't remember how many, how many kids I had at that time. We've had about eight. So that's all ten of us. So we're in our bedroom. And my children, they're used to sleeping on the floor, that kind of thing. So they slept in there with us. Well, I, I don't know if you ever really noticed it. But one, one morning we woke up, went to early morning prayer. And he, I could tell he, something was bothering him. And he was agitated about something. And we got about halfway to the church. And I looked at him and said, what's wrong with you? I mean, why, why don't you have the victory? And he said, well, you know, I got up in the middle of the night, in the night last night. And I walked past your children's bedroom to go to the restroom, and I noticed that, that none of them were in there. And he looked at me and said, why is that? And I said, well, you know, uh, I'm not trying to hide anything from you. I'll just be very frank with you. I don't know you. Uh, this is not a personal affront against your character. I'm not making any accusations. I'm just being safe. I don't really know what you're like or who you are, and I'm going to make sure that my children wouldn't get in any trouble if you didn't have the proper character. Only takes a minute, amen? Only takes a little bit of time. And, you know, and, and so he became very offended with that. You know, and I told him, that makes me even more suspicious, amen? Why are you offended that I'm trying to protect my children? But, you know, I was trying to minister to him, and I said, look, when I was a sinner, I was, I was a terrible, awful, wicked, evil man, and there was nothing that, that I wasn't capable of. Amen. Do you believe that? If you don't believe that, I wonder whether you were born again. I never did anything like that, but I could have. Amen. Because I was a devil. Do you hear me? And so I began to say that. And then I said, you know, I was a God hater. And he turned to me and he said, I never hated God. I said, oh, yes, sir, Mr. So-and-so. The Bible says your carnal mind is enmity against God. If you're not born again, you do hate God. He said, I've never hated God. I said, no, you've never been born again. It's an offensive thought. Listen to me. An offensive thought, but it is the truth. Again, this reveals we say amen to the Bible in theory, but we reject it in practice. It's alarming in this hour, the blinding hypocrisy in the church. I have sat in churches with men that would shout down the preaching, walk out the front door, and persecute you for practicing what was preached. And it's pervasive. And it's everywhere. It's terrible. You know, men must be born again for a lot of various reasons. Primarily because men are unholy. And God is holy. And God cannot have fellowship with unholiness. But another, amen, secondary reason why men must be born again is sinners do not have the capacity to love God. They do not have their, their fallen nature cannot let they reject and hate and despise the person of Jesus. This is what the Bible says. I've heard men say that the interests that we see today for the occult is an indication that men are spiritually hungry. Have you ever heard people say stuff like that? Oh, there's all kind of interests in the occult and the cults and what have you. And that just proves that men are spiritually hungry. What folly and foolishness, what kind of theology do men have? How can an infatuation for Satan be translated amen, and interpreted into a hunger for the Lord Jesus Christ? I do not know. The Bible teaches no such thing. Nobody is seeking after God. Does the Scripture come to mind? None seeking. Listen to me. Salvation, the origins of God. We don't seek Him until He first seeks us. 
Salvation begins with God. I'm not preaching Calvinism. But prevenient grace is provided when the gospel is preached. And the gospel must be preached, and then the Holy Ghost can draw on the platform of the gospel. But nobody is hungry for Jesus until the how shall they hear without a preacher. Amen? How shall they hear without a preacher? We must communicate that the breach between man and God is of a moral nature. Otherwise, we will misrepresent Him. You read through Jeremiah chapter 23. It speaks of the false prophets then. It's a very, very good chapter. I recommend you read that. It really unveils the nature of those who are men-pleasers. It says in verse 17, They say still unto them that despise me, the Lord has said, Ye shall have peace. And they say unto everyone that walketh after the imagination of his own heart, No evil shall come upon you. That's the mark of a false preacher, of a false witness that speaketh lies. But the false gospel of the day, it again overlooks the opposition of sinful man towards God. Well, why is that? Because it views man as a victim rather than a culprit. And therefore, as we move on to the third pillar here tonight, therefore the problem then is considered one of communication rather than reconciliation. Amen? Now, have you ever had two parties that are opposed and someone has sinned against another? There can be no reconciliation unless we deal with the dirty laundry. You can't restore relationships until you deal with what broke the relationship. And listen to me. Sinful man being brought back to God is a matter of reconciliation. But you see, unconsciously, they suppose it's a matter of communication. The Bible says in Second Corinthians 5 and 18, And all things are of God, who have reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ, and have given us given to us the ministry of reconciliation. And that means to restore to divine favor by means of faith in the atonement. That's the only way there can be reconciliation between man and God. There is no other way. But the false church of today subconsciously supposes gospel declaration is a mere matter of providing men with the right information. Not offending them, not scaring them away, but kind of coaxing them in. You know, I remember one time when I was studying through the Gospels, and I, and I, I noticed that the method of the fishermen, you know, Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. And I noticed that the way that those men fish, they fish with nets and not with hooks. They fish with nets and not with hooks. They got out in the middle of that, that ocean and they dropped those nets. Now, Jesus used that type of fishing many times to correlate and illustrate pure evangelism. You never saw them fish with a hook. Amen? They always dropped the net in and by sheer power and force they overcame the fish. Amen? They took them in. Every fish in that lake knew here they come. Amen? They're not trying to bother. They, they're showing us exactly what we're, they're doing. There's no sight of hand involved. But when you put some bait on a hook, you're covering the thing up. You're trying to destroy somebody. We don't fish with hooks. We fish with blood-bought gospel nets in the power of the Holy Ghost. We don't fish with hooks. We've come to tell you the truth. We're not going to cloak anything. We're going to tell all the truth 
all of it right now. The truth will make you free. Young lady came up to me today and had a banner with a scripture on it. She said, you think this is going to be effectual? Don't you think this is going to scare somebody? I said, if the Bible scares somebody, they need to be scared. This is the only thing that I can give them. Amen? He said, that's not love. The Bible says in John 3.16 that God so loved the world, He gave. He gave Jesus. Jesus is the Word. If I love them, i got to give them the Word of God. If I don't give them the Word of God, I don't love them. That is love, whether they like it or not. Today they say, you, you can't simply come out here and denounce sin and proclaim judgment. You've got to explain everything. You know, Jesus, if you're right out of things, you plug it out. I didn't really mean that. Don't do that. He didn't do that. He said a lot of things. And you know, listen to me. He said, I say them in parables so that those that say they can see will be blind. He didn't explain a lot of things for him. Because the condition of heart, that is what really determines how people hear. Amen. We're not called to inform. We're called to reconcile. We're not called to inform. We're called to reconcile. And not only this, listen to me. We're not called to reconcile Amen. We are called to reconcile men to God, not God unto men. And there's a vast difference in that. Amen. We're not called to reconcile God unto men. We're called to reconcile men unto God. We don't cloak the terrible realities of sin and judgment in an attempt to make the gospel more acceptable to the carnal mind. No, no. Reconciliation, that's the act of bringing two opposing parties to peaceful terms. And that's impossible apart from a change. Thus, we cannot promote reconciliation without preaching repentance. And we cannot preach repentance without exposing sin. Somebody's wrong. Amen? Somebody's sin. Somebody's guilty. Whatever you do, don't make them feel guilty. They ought to feel guilty. Amen? They have sinned against God. Thank God that one day I felt guilty. It was conviction. It was the reproof of the Holy Ghost. And that's what caused me and drove me by the mercy of God to cry out for God to deliver me. They've got to sense that. Amen? Somebody's got to change. And we know it's not going to be God because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He didn't do anything wrong. I said, He didn't do anything wrong. The Holy Ghost, what does He do? He has a ministry to the world. And the Bible says when He comes, He will come. He prepared you move past the fire. He wants to end. He's going to reprove the world. Of sin. Righteousness. Well, what y'all preaching out there? All that preaching against sin. When the Holy Ghost is there, you will reprove of sin. Righteousness and judgment. That is the ministry of the Holy Ghost to that world. And then you hear people say, well now, you're just going to have to allow the Holy Ghost to deal with people. Just You don't get out of the way. How's the Holy Ghost going to deal with people? This again is some of these haphazard theological ideas that somehow the Holy Ghost is arbitrary, you know, randomly floating around in the atmosphere, influencing people. No, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost came. And where did He go? 
He went into the church. Amen. And there was a great, there was any doubt that the Holy Ghost was there. If there's ever been a moment in time where the Holy Ghost was somewhere, He was in Jerusalem in that 120. They were speaking in tongues. Downtown Jerusalem, men saw it. Listen to me. They saw uh, flames of tongues over their heads. They've been cloven tongues of fire. And they saw it all. But nobody got pricked in their conscience until a preacher stood up and preach the gospel that was the Holy Ghost reproving them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Somebody has to preach the gospel. The Holy Ghost is going to use a human vessel. Oh, but it's so common. Don't you just let the Holy Ghost deal with it. Now, if they're a Christian, the Holy Ghost can deal with it. The Holy Ghost is not in a sinner. They need someone to preach to them. Amen. I'm not saying God can't deal with them according to their conscience, but I can tell you this. How shall they hear without a preacher? They must have that human vessel. Amen. Listen to me. It says in Isaiah 1 and 18, Come now, let us reason together. Say of the Lord, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And that word reason, it means to dispute. It means to judge. It means to plead. Convict, convince, correct, rebuke, rebuke, and reprove. Preach the word. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. The essential elements of real preaching. If the Spirit of God is here, listen to me. He deals with the sinner, not on an intellectual plane first, but on a moral plane. Amen. That's the first order of business. Amen. By God, to that sinner. When I was lost, I intellectually denied the faith. Up until the day that I got born again. I don't remember exactly, but I'm sure if you would have been around me three, four, five days before I was born again, I was probably, because I was under terrible conviction, I was probably offering all types of blasphemous excuses. I was intellectually denying the faith while I had a defiled and agitated conscience. Amen. Listen to me. The mark that God is dealing with men, the mark that we are successful evangelists, is not that men would approve of us, but that men would have tormented consciences. Amen. The approval of God. We are talking to this young man the other day. He looked like he's going to chew his bottom lip off. Amen. God was a dealing with him. God was searching him and trying him. Brother Victor said, why don't you pray right now that God would bring you to repentance? Why wouldn't you just take a step toward God? And he became angry because he didn't want to get hemmed up in that place. He even said, if I say no, then it reveals to me that I reject God. Listen to me, he's brought to a terrible, awful place of crisis. That's the love and the mercy of God. And you've got to have courage to bring people there. He was tormented. All this, though, it's unnecessary if it's just merely a misunderstanding. Let the unchurched, as they say, simply see the benefits of the gospel. But God wants a man happy and prosperous. He's a fun-loving God. He doesn't mind you having lots of fun. That Jesus has secured an eternal place for them in paradise. That all this is a free gift. No strings attached. Just come and enjoy. 
no used car salesman ever gave a more convincing pitch. And they come in by the droves and the thousands and sit on the pews and prepare themselves for a burning, eternal lake of fire. Because God has been misrepresented. And that leads me to my final point here. Consequently, consequently, instead of calling men to repentance, we just urge them, would you please give God a chance? This is what the great gospel message has been reduced to today. Apparently, the God of the Bible is a bit too Victorian for our contemporary taste. Terrifying folks with tales of fiery judgment and eternal damnation is considered religiously incorrect. So we've carefully stripped all the majesty and glory from the holy God of the Bible and transformed Him into a heavenly pauper, begging for a chance just to show Himself valid. They marred His image. They marred His image. Hey, hey, Mr. Sinner Man. Could you just give me an opportunity? I, I won't disappoint you. Just a little bit of your time and some money. Not much money. Would you allow me a chance? I, I'll enhance your experience. I, I'll sweeten your journey. I'll make you happy and prosperous. New house, new car, new wardrobe. You'd look good in alligator shoes. I promise it's going to be a lot better if you just allow me. Just a chance, please. What's that? Oh, no, no, uh, forget about all that uh, rhetoric, that old-fashioned, outdated rhetoric about judgment and wrath. I'm different, I promise. I, I, for after all, I'm the God of the New Testament. I've changed, really. That, that's the God of the Old Testament. I, I, I'm not going to interfere. I'm not going to crimp your style. I'm not worried about details. I just want to help you. You have to be perfect. He don't.
For I am a great and a mighty king, saith the Lord of hosts. And my name is dreadful among the heathen. Will you mar my image? Will you defile my person? I have called you to represent me, saith the Lord. Be a faithful witness, and I will bless. But an unfaithful witness that speaketh lies shall not go unpunished, saith the Lord. Would you come in these altars here tonight? And let's sing. Come in these altars and sing.